Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we conclude our sermon series, Talking in the Dark. Now how many of us, if our child asked for a loaf of bread, would instead give them a rock? So if we know how to give good things to our children, why don't we believe that God will give us what we ask for? Join us for the message, Praying for Ourselves. Welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. So how many of us, if our child asked for a loaf of bread, we would hand them a rock? Not many of us. So if we know how to give good things to our children, then why don't we believe that God might be doing some good things for us? Well, stay tuned. We're going to be talking in our message about praying for ourselves also like to invite you, if not done so, to please make an offering for the ministry of this church. And just a reminder that during the summer, oftentimes, uh, as people have their travel schedules, sometimes they forget to send in their offering donation. So I would like to uh, ask to go ahead and, and send those in so we can maintain our finances during the summer. You can donate by sending a check to the church there, and we have the mailing address up there. Also, you can do it by going to our website, tumcd.org, or through our Church Center app. We have two scripture readings this morning. The first comes from Psalm 139, beginning in the first verse. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give up, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up. And give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the Word of God for the people of God.
Jesus was always going off by himself to pray. In the first gospel of Mark, right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it tells a story that Jesus got up very early one morning while it was still dark, and he went off to a deserted place to pray. And when the disciples finally got up, they had no idea where he was. So after a very prolonged search, they finally found him. And it says that Simon Peter said, everyone is searching for you. And you can almost hear the irritation that's there in Simon's voice. And yet over time, the disciples began to realize that Jesus' personal prayer sessions were the very thing that, that energized him and inspired him to continue following through on his mission to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So one day, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, today is the eighth and the final sermon based on the book, Talking in the Dark, Praying When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And we've covered a lot of territory in these eight weeks. In these series, we've talked a lot about some of these difficulties that we encounter when we pray. Uh, Some of these difficulties uh, are a result of our misconceptions about prayer. And some of these difficulties are born out of some of our own very painful experiences with prayer. Because you see, ultimately prayer is a mysterious activity that is directed toward a mysterious God. And we have to accept the fact that we're never going to fully understand prayer in this life. And yet at the same time, we need to remain committed to the ongoing practice of prayer. And there are two themes that we have explored over and over again in this sermon series. And these two themes are, first of all, honesty in prayer as well as the practice of praying nevertheless. And in regard to that first theme, it it is just essential that we be just as honest as possible in our prayers. As as Wesley read earlier in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. See, God knows all of our thoughts and feelings in our head before we're even aware of them. And so we might as well be honest. And honesty with God is closely related to being honest with ourselves. In fact, to be honest with God is to be honest with ourselves. And if we can't talk to something But we can't talk to God about something that we ourselves are not even aware of. So therefore, we got to be honest with ourselves. But let's face it, some of us are better at knowing ourselves than others. Some of us are natural navel gazers. And some of us are more people of action. But all of us, even, even those of us who spend a lot of time trying to search our own psyches... All of us have aspects of our lives and parts of our feelings, parts of ourselves, situations in our lives that we don't want to look at. And we're happy to remain in repression or denial about them. But fortunately, prayer itself will help us to be more honest in our praying. Because we can ask God to reveal to us that which we need to look at more closely in order to grow in Christ and become healthier and more whole and consequently more holy human beings. See, if we're open to the Holy Spirit's prompting 
then God's going to reveal to us those things that we need to be made aware of and, the, and we're going to be made aware of them just at the right time in our lives. And as to regards to the second theme, in all we ask or say to God, we can always pray, nevertheless, thy will be done. So this kind of nevertheless praying helps us keep everything in its proper perspective, and it gives us then the freedom to ask God to fulfill our deepest desires. Jesus said to us, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be open. We can ask for anything we want in prayer. As long as we keep it in the perspective that it is God's will that must be followed, not our own. And again, if we remain open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, then God is going to reveal to us if what we really want is truly in our best interest. The ironic thing is the more we pray, the more that we do end up getting what we want. Because as the Holy Spirit works within us, transforming us into the likeness of Christ, we're going to naturally begin to want the same things that God wants. Our desires will conform to God's desires, and then our wills will begin to uh, conform to God's will. Last week we talked about intercessory prayer, that is, when we pray pray for others. But today I'd like for us to talk about how we pray for ourselves. How do we pray properly on our own behalf? And there's a lot of biblical examples of people praying for themselves. The book of Psalms is chock full of people praying for themselves. And we have the very example of Jesus praying for himself when he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. But many people... They feel that praying for themselves is somehow maybe selfish or self-centered. Some of us maybe almost feel guilty praying for ourselves. But praying for oneself is both biblical and it's valid. Now, can praying for oneself be selfish, self-centered, and narcissistic? Yes, it can be. But it doesn't have to be. Not if we follow Jesus' teaching and example. As we read earlier in the Gospel of Luke, it tells us of that one day that Jesus had gone off to pray. And when we returned, his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus then laid out for them a kind of a framework or a scaffold for their prayers. And he presented them with what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer summarizes the life of discipleship like in miniature. And concerning the Lord's Prayer, John Wesley wrote... This prayer uttered from the heart and in its full and true meaning is indeed the badge of a real Christian. When we're spending time with God and we're praying for ourselves, then the Lord's Prayer can act as a very effective outline for our own prayers and we can kind of use it then as a springboard for talking to God. Because the Lord's Prayer starts with a focus on God, on God's kingdom, and on God's will. And so, therefore, everything we pray afterwards is going to be in proper perspective. And as you know the Lord's Prayer, we begin with a phrase, Our Father who art in heaven. And the word our reminds us that even if we're praying when we're alone, even when we're praying 
for ourselves, we're always praying as part of a worshiping community, and we're always praying as part of the body of Christ. And when we remember that God is concerned then with the whole of humanity, when we keep that in mind, it guards our prayers from becoming too selfish or too self-centered. Praying to God as Father emphasizes the intimate relationship of familial love we have with God. It gives us hope that the same kind of intimacy that the Son of God enjoys with the Father is now extended to all of us. Because now we're praying not just to Jesus' Father, we're praying to our Father as well. Now, I also believe it is, it is completely and totally legitimate to pray to God as Mother as well. I just think the important thing is not to lose the metaphor of God as our divine parent. Because I think it communicates a depth of intimacy and dependence upon God more than any other name or metaphor or symbol that we can possibly use for God. So we pray to the father or the mother who art in heaven. While this divine parent is nearby, as close as our own breath, this same parent then is also the transcendent creator of the universe. So when we pray to our Father who art in heaven, then we're praying against the backdrop of the eternal and the unchanging. And we're reminded that there are ultimate realities to which we seek to conform our lives. Well, next we pray, hallowed be, hallowed be thy name. We praise the Lord, we bless God's holy name, and we give honor that only properly belongs to the deity. We acknowledge that God is God and we are not. God is the first and foremost object for our love, the love that we give through our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we close that first section of prayer with thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the center of Jesus' teaching is the coming of the kingdom of God. It's that promise that in the future, in the fullness of time, God's reign will be made complete. Now, ultimately, only God can bring about the full expression of the kingdom. But in the meantime, God calls us to establish little pockets of the kingdom in the present world, places where God's sovereignty and God's rule is acknowledged and celebrated, and places where God's law of love is fully lived out. And each and every congregation of the church, Trinity included, is supposed to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God comes whenever God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, in a way, this is the most dangerous part of the prayer. Because when we pray, thy will be done, we're telling God that we're going to listen for God's voice and then we're going to do God's will. And following God's will inevitably means something's going to be required of us. When we pray thy will be done, we open ourselves to the possibility that God's going to call us then to be the answer to other people's prayers. In the Lord's Prayer, that nevertheless part comes before we've even asked anything for ourselves. So it is only after we've acknowledged the sovereignty of God We've praised the holy name. We've surrendered ourselves to God's will that we finally begin praying for ourselves. And we pray, give us this day our daily bread. It assures that our prayers for self will not denigrate into selfish prayers. 
We pray for what we need for now, not all that we may want, not so much that we receive more than others, not so much that we hoard the good life, the good things of life from others. In fact, we pray for our daily bread. And when we pray for our daily bread, we're praying for everyone's daily bread, ourselves, but also for everyone else's, including the poor and the hungry. We pray this realizing that for others to have their daily bread, that means we're going to have to share our daily bread. So we realize and we then affirm that social justice for our neighbor is inseparable from the gospel and it's inseparable from uh, the life of discipleship. And the next we pray, forgive us our trespasses. You see, Jesus just assumes that every time we pray, we're going to, have to, need, we're going to need to ask for forgiveness on a regular basis. Now, sometimes trespasses is translated as debts or offenses or sins, but whichever, which of the, whichever of these words we use, we acknowledge the fact that we mess up all the time, and so therefore we're going to need God's forgiveness like all the time. But the thing is, God wants to forgive us, and God is ever ready to forgive us, to offer us mercy and grace. God does not want us to be mired in our own guilt and shame, forever burdened with the aftermath of our past failures. But then there's that catch. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount found in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells tells us that with the judgment you make, you'll be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. I don't know about you, but I'm praying that God's a lot more merciful to me than I am necessarily to others. And yet, right after the prayer Jesus adds uh, there in the Sermon on the Mount, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Yikes. Ultimately, God's ability to forgive will always outstrip our own, for God is ever ready and willing to forgive. But the way I understand this is that God always graciously forgives. But the ability for the benefits of that forgiveness to to penetrate our lives and our hearts, that depends on the openness of our hearts. And the Bible scholar N.T. Wright put it this way, the heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God's forgiveness is offered. You see, God will forgive, but if we want that forgiveness to make any real difference in our lives, then we've got to turn around and forgive others as well. Because ultimately, our relationship with God is going to mirror our relationship with our neighbor. And the heart that's closed to our neighbor is ultimately going to be a heart that's closed to God. And so for that reason, we then pray, lead us not into temptation. Now, in modern English, it's better translated, lead us away from temptation, But even if we're forgiven one day, you know, the next day we're going to be faced with a whole new temptation. And when we mess up, when we sin, if we look back and we're honest with ourselves, we can usually identify that moment when that first flicker of temptation all began. And if we can realize at that time that we're headed for trouble, then we may be, with God's help, be able to turn away from that temptation and keep our lives on track. Or therefore, when we pray, 
uh, either to not have to face temptation or that we'll be able to turn away from temptation, then we know that God then will be with us in those prayers. But unfortunately, being human, we're still going to sometimes give in to temptation. We're going to dive right into sin with all of its consequences. Therefore, the next thing we pray is deliver us from evil. Because once we've gotten ourselves into trouble, we need God to help us get ourselves out of trouble. We need God to deliver us. And sometimes we become so enmeshed in evil because of the failings of others, as well as the failings of our own lives. There, there is the reality that sometimes we can feel as if evil has a particularly tight grip on us. And again, it can be because of our failure to resist temptation. It can be because of someone else's failure to resist temptation. Oftentimes it's a combination of both. We may be the victim of a heinous crime. We may be the, per- the perpetrator of something that we feel like we can never really get forgiveness for or redemption. We may find ourselves mired in depression or anxiety or addiction and feel as if we're in this deep pit from which we're never going to be able to climb out of. So sometimes the only thing for us to do is to cry out to God, deliver me for I cannot deliver myself. And that's when the last line of the prayer then can offer us so much hope. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And this last line is not part of the actual prayer Jesus taught his disciples in the, originally. It was added later by the church, but I, <clears throat> I think it makes a very fitting close. Just as the prayer begins with a focus on God and God's kingdom and God's will, the prayer now ends by returning our gaze to God and God's power and God's glory. The beginning and the ending of the prayer put everything contained within the prayer in that proper perspective. I was once talking to a young woman about prayer, and she made this amazing comment. She likened prayer as being similar to playing with fire. And I was very intrigued by this analogy because fire is a symbol for the Holy Spirit. And it reminds me of then what Paul wrote in Romans, which we've now read several times in the last few weeks. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The truth is, is that a life of prayer is a life where God is going to be constantly calling you and transforming you and refining you. And at times... That refinement is going to feel as if our souls are being burned by fire. So I think in a sense, prayer is kind of like playing with fire. And for that reason, prayer takes courage. Because prayer means that you're going to forever be ceding more and more control of, over your life over to God. And you're going to have to accept the fact that you will not be able to control the outcome of your life. Now actually that's true no matter what. But it's better for God then to be in control of our lives than other forces. But all of this then also means that we're going to be living a life of adventure with God. By ceding more control over to God, we open ourselves to a life with more love and more purpose and more joy than we thought was possible. That fire of the Spirit then becomes kind of a holy heat that warms us even in the coldest and darkest of times. And again, to quote Bible scholar N.T. Wright, 
Prayer is one of life's great mysteries. At its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void on the off chance there may be someone out there listening. At its highest, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of God's reality, generosity, delight, and grace. So may we utter that prayer that merges into love and brings us into the very presence of God. And I want to end this prayer, uh, excuse me, this sermon series on prayer um, by us praying a litany together that's based on the Lord's Prayer as it was interpreted and reimagined by the late Dr. Virgil Howard of Perkins School of Theology. And I just love this. And so I would like to invite you to stand as you are able and to join me then in this litany of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Make yourself the center of our world and our lives. Thy kingdom come. Reign over us and among us. Thy will be done. Let your creative and life-giving will dream for us. On earth as it is in heaven. Happen right now and right here in our world. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. Don't make us relive our failures day by day. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And help us not make others relive their own failures. Lead us not into temptation. And do not abandon us to our own violence. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Because your reign and your power and your glory are finally all that matters. Amen. And so may we keep praying and may we keep talking in the dark because sound travels in both darkness and in light. Amen. Remember that you can always find recordings of our worship services on our Facebook page, on our website, tumcd.org. You can also find the audio for our worship service on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And as you continue in your prayer lives, don't forget to continue to pray for Trinity, that we will be that outpost of God's kingdom here in Duncanville and beyond. And now receive this benediction. Go forth knowing that God goes before you as you face temptation and trial. And may the knowledge of God's power and glory lead you into God's kingdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll begin a new sermon series based on the Sermon on the Mount found in the Gospel of Matthew. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. <music>